Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome once again. As we continue on in the Bible study that we're doing, uh, right now we're in the book of Matthew. We're, we're actually going to attempt to do the entire New Testament, although that's a five-year process. But uh, we're, uh, we're almost half a year in. So it doesn't seem like we, it's been that long, really. To me, it doesn't. I, when, you, when you do stuff like this, it seems to fly by. We're in the 24th chapter of Matthew today. And so um, uh, two more weeks, and we'll, 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 have, uh, we'll have a half a year in it. And the, um, reading it in context gives you a lot of idea about what's really happening in the gospel and, and the thread of the story. And what will happen is as we um, press on from here and do the other three Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, and then into the book of Acts, um, if you hold all of that intention as you go, it really begins to open the story of, of what was happening and the development of the early church and how all these things fit together. And then you begin to see all the references to the Old Testament stuff and how it all ties together and what was going on. And um, by reading all four of the Gospels, you get... Uh, you know, when the Holy Spirit inspires the writers of the Bible, um, he still uses their personality. And so you, you, get, uh, you get inspired writing through, uh, from the Holy Spirit through the writer. And, and so you, you get, uh, you know, a different uh, a look at the same thing, which is kind of neat. And it all, it all works together, and the Bible always does. But it, it's neat for me sometimes to see... They're different perspectives. And each of the writers of the gospel was writing a sort of a different target audience. And uh, uh, Matthew was writing to, how about my VLI students? The Jews. And Mark was writing to the Romans. Luke. Gentiles. And John. Okay. <laughs> to everyone. If you didn't hear, they were, they were answering correctly. Very good. So Matthew was writing to Jewish believers. And... Uh, Mark is writing to Romans, and uh, Luke is writing to Gentiles. And per- primarily, they're writing to everybody. John had a, had a wider perspective, but they're, they're sort of their writing was targeted at a certain group. And when you sort of hold that into context, it, you, you get why they would present things, the same story, a little differently because you were talking to different people. It, it'd be like um, you would tell stories differently depending on the people that you were telling to, because for some of them, they might not understand the cultural references or the idioms or the cliches and that kind of stuff. And so uh, they would be a little different. So, so that happens in the Gospels. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll be in Mark before you know it, because we have four more chapters, five more chapters. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 28 is the last one. And then uh, we'll be in Mark. So as we have uh, been working through Matthew together, we started with... Uh, uh, Jesus coming into the scene, uh, his his uh, his amazing entry into the world, how he chose to come in. We we, we saw how he was immediately uh, you know sort of attacked, um, and and how he had to be rescued out of that. We saw uh, through the course of his life uh, him him being baptized and starting his ministry, and we saw the temptation in the desert. We we see by the time we get to Matthew five that. The story's well underway, and Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, which is really, when you think about Matthew, at least when I think about Matthew, it's, the, it's sort of the focal point, and everything builds from there. Those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus sort of undergirds his message that the kingdom is here, and, and the kingdom has come, and that uh, he's the king. 
And we, we see him undo the teaching, the religious teaching of the day that the Pharisees had brought on everybody. And we, we looked, uh, and I always want to emphasize this, that the Pharisees had started meaning well, as most groups do, but they drifted way off message over time. And now they had made it basically impossible for people to come to relationship with God. Jesus enters the scene, begins to talk about what that looks like. And rather than embrace the one that God sends, like their ancestors, we find out they do the same thing. They're gonna, they, they want to kill him. And they reject him uh, time and time again. Even though not only does he come and preach the gospel, he backs it up beginning in chapter 8 in particular with all sorts of miracles, signs and wonders that could only be coming from power of God and while they see it and even they are uh, aware of the fact that it's it's God at work still because of their refusal to accept Jesus as Messiah they've rejected him completely because they don't want to lose their place their position and we've we spent time developing um, the the position of the Pharisees and all along with the admonition I hope to all of us to remember as believers the tendency to move towards Phariseeism ourselves and that uh, it's in all of us to move in that direction we have to be very careful because it's it's easier over time to fall into rules and regulations than it is to continue to move through in a living relationship with God um, and and to continually process what grace looks like and and to continually uh, embrace that relationship it, it always seems easier to develop a set of rules and then you live by the rules and and you really don't have to Embrace relationship. However, um, uh, relationship that's based about a set of rules isn't really relationship. And and any any relationships you were into that was in a and any time it gets down to a set of rules, it's the life is gone. And that's what happened with the Pharisees. The life was gone. There was no connection with God. And so it had become about all sorts of other things. It had become very commercial. Um, it had become about authority and power and how they looked. Uh, and their their place and their position, all these things, that's what it was about. And they'd missed the point. And, and they'd made it impossible for people to come to God. And, and we see it time after time how Jesus uses parables to teach and how he, he talks about what's happening. And he, and he gets right and, and confronts the Pharisees. We just read about him really the last uh, 21, 22, 23 are all about Jesus. He's taking it right to the Pharisees. And, and, and yet they just don't care. And they're, they're, they're going to continue to push this thing through uh, because the cross is coming quickly now and and uh, we're, we're we're speeding towards that end and jesus knowing it's coming i mean all the time that you read these things no jesus knows what's coming and 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 he's going to go willingly and endure that for our sake so we get into uh matthew chapter 24 today and and uh, jesus has just really uh, gone after the pharisees and uh He's given them the, the seven woes uh, about all the things and woe to you and woe to this and he's, he's let him have it. And he, he, he leaves from the temple with his guys and he begins this discourse on what's coming next. Let me go ahead and read that to you. Uh, in, uh, we're going to read all of Matthew uh, 24. It's 51 verses, so it'll take a couple of minutes. Uh, it's in your notes, most of it, I believe. And if not, follow along in your Bibles. I'll be reading from the NIV. You can read along in whatever translation. The, the, the uh, Bibles in the chairs are NIV. And the last batch of Bibles that I bought happened to be large print. I don't know why. It's a gift from God. 
They're not bad. Grab one, one of the bigger ones, and you can see that the print's not bad. I still couldn't read it. but Verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down, as, which is fulfilled uh, 70 years later. The temple's destroyed. All right? So he, uh, we'll talk a little about prophecy, but Jesus says something that's going to happen not, not much farther after that. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Sometimes Jesus' uh, little speeches weren't that cheery. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Just not, verse, verse 9 is not nice. 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only 
the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and that an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Pretty heavy chapter, huh? We'll just close right there. No, it's easy. <laughs> okay. Matthew 24. Neat chapter. And... It's, it's about the kingdom of God. And, and it's been the message of Jesus all along, the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. I'm the king. The kingdom has come. The disciples, who as, as Jewish believers would have all studied Old Testament prophecies, had been promised a restoration of the kingdom back to the glory days of Israel to the time of the Davidic reign when Israel was the top of everything. And the disciples knew that. See? They, they had this thing. This, is the, this had been the problem all along. And Jesus, they know who, they've gotten, they figured out who Jesus is. They know who Jesus is. He's Messiah. They, they, they've seen it. They've witnessed it. They've had this discussion. And they know from their study of Old Testament prophecy that Messiah is going to come and reestablish the kingdom. And Jesus keeps talking about a cross instead of a crown. And they don't get it. That's the constant struggle. See, get that, that, that's the underlying problem the disciples have is they, they understand Old Testament prophecy. And, and so the question is, see, because if, if, the, if the Bible's not true, nothing's true. And if that, those prophecies aren't true, nothing's true. And, and this is causing the major conflict that's taking place. It's, it's the heart of the issue. And, and the problem is that as we go back and read the Old Testament prophecies, see, there's, there's two streams. There's two prophetic streams. There's one of a conquering king and there's one of a suffering servant. There's, there, it, prophetically, it's hard to see times. And so it's hard to see the... The, the day of the Lord, as it's referred to in the Old Testament, the, the day of Jacob, the great and terrible day, um, the, the coming of the, of the Lord is seen to be when all this happens. And, and if Jesus is the king, then these things should be taking place. What they can't see, when, when, when the Old Testament prophets were back here in history looking forward, see, you, 
you can, they, could, they knew the events, but they couldn't see the order of events. And what looked to happen to them in one occasion is separated by a gap of at least 2,000 years. How do we know that? Because Jesus has come, <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet, and he's coming back. And so we, we talk about the kingdom in this understanding that my whole microphone just fell apart. I was really into it, too. I hope the flow comes back. <laughs> we talk about the kingdom. And, and if you've been here for any other time, you hear terms like the now and the not yet. And, and I want to explain that tonight. You see, there's a lot of different interpretations of biblical prophecy. And unfortunately, it tends to cause division among believers. So we, we take things that we, we read, you know, like when Paul talks about the coming uh, of Christ, uh, and, and unfortunately, like, chunks of the church will all of a sudden decide that they're going to get and take stands about whether he's coming before the tribulation in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation and that becomes the divisive part when when the, the writings were just to encourage us that he's coming do you get how we often mess things up <laughs> and and we decide to get divisive or divided over things that we shouldn't get that should encourage us and and it, it, we don't know and people that take a stand saying they know, don't know. It hasn't happened yet. Well, so a lot of people have ideas about um, the kingdom and, and what that looks like. The disciples had ideas about what the kingdom looked like. And because it wasn't shaken out the way they expected to, it was a struggle for, for them in the process. What we know, uh, because now we've, we've had, is that Jesus, when he came the first time, he inaugurated the kingdom. The kingdom is here. But it's not fully here. We, we live in this period of time that we call the now and the not yet. We, we, we live waiting for his return. He's coming back. And Matthew 24 and 25 is about that. He's here and he's coming back. And we're going we're gonna to be reading about him in these chapters, his, his return. He's coming back. See, he's, he's got to, his, his guys are gonna, eventually going to figure it out because he has to go to the cross of why he needed to do that. And, and now, after they get that figured out, the rest of his teaching makes sense to them. He's coming back. And so we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. The kingdom is here. It's inaugurated. It's not fully here. Um, uh, and you've heard me say this all the time. So, so when, he, when it comes back in its fullness, when he comes back and brings everything then gets straightened out. Everything gets made right. Everything. And, and that's all the stuff that we read about, all the great... Everything happens then. In the meantime, some of it's available to us and in, in we talk about the scripture that talks about um it's a taste we get a we get a foretaste we get a taste in the spirit of what lies ahead and and i've told you over and over again a taste is better than nothing um if if there's a there's a if there's a banquet being made and you're not invited to the banquet um it, it's a it's a it's shame but if they give you a taste at least you got something you know what i mean uh, it's like you know when the when the uh it's like if you're cooking a, a big chunk of beef 
You know how the ends get done before the rest of it? <laughs> and maybe you ain't invited to the meal, but they, they cut you off a little piece of the end on the way through. You get a taste. It's a good thing, and it's real. It's, it's a real measurable happening, see? And so the kingdom is here in a very significant way because Jesus has come and the Spirit is here, but it's not fully here. And, and faith and, and all the things that we talk about are all built on the idea that we, we come and we ask God, since you're going to set everything right, God, we ask him to do it now. And that's part of our faith. That's asking for the bread of tomorrow today, and we're supposed to do that. But it's not fully here. We're waiting for his return for that to be established. And so we're, we're in this tension of the now and the not yet. And, and this is what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples i've got to go to the cross but jesus you have to establish the kingdom that's what the bible says that's what the scripture says the old testament says you have to establish the kingdom i am establishing the kingdom it's just not what you expect when i come back you're going to get what you expect but this has to happen first see that's the process that we're into and the, the prophets from behind looking forward couldn't see the gap in time it looked like it happened all at the same time but it doesn't it comes in phases but see, if you're back looking at the future, you can't see the distance. It looks like it happens all at the same time, but it doesn't. So we're into that process. And, and Jesus is trying to explain this to his disciples. And so Matthew 24 and most of 25 is uh, uh, Jesus responding to three questions that his disciples ask. And the three questions that, he asked, that the disciples ask are in verse 3. It's 5 to 8 already. And he says, it says, tell us they asked... When will this happen? That's the first question. What will be the sign of your coming? That's the second question. And of the end of the age? Third question. And he answers those questions, but he answers them in reverse order. All right? So uh, in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 26, he talks about the signs of the end of the age. He answers the third question first. Um, and this is one of those spots where, where the word in the... Uh, for age, if you read some other translations, they translate that word world. And the problem with the translation of world, it's not a good translation for the Greek word A-I-O-N, which is much better translated age because it, it, it denotes time, not geography. And what it sounds like if you read it in certain translations, th- this world and the world to come, that's not what he's talking about. It sounds like a, it's a geographical switch. He's talking about this age and the age to come. And that makes way better prophetic sense. And, and so the end of the age, the end of the time, when, when, when does this time finish and the next time begin? That's what they're asking. When does all this take place? The, the difference between the first and the second coming. And, um, and so Jesus gives them this picture about the signs of the end of the age. And it talks about uh, increasing tension, uh, disasters, disturbances, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, increasing wickedness, and the persecution of Jesus' followers. Now, that sounds like now. <laughs> but it sounds like that to every generation because these things have always happened. But he uses this interesting thing, birth pain. And, and I've never personally given birth, but I've witnessed it twice. <laughs> so I can't speak for those involved, although I did pass a kidney stone once. Um, <laughs> Too much information probably, but <laughs> I've heard it's maybe worse. But who knows? Because anyway, um, let's see, I'm off track and it's late. Uh, birth pains get more intense and more frequent the closer the event happens. 
And, and so when he says that, he says what's going to happen is these things are going to happen more intently and with more frequency as he comes, as, as his return gets close. But those things have always been in play. All right, so those are the signs. So we have all those signs happening now, and, and they've been happening all along, but they do seem to be happening with more frequency. Okay? So, so we have that in process, but so is every generation. So those are the signs. He says be looking for the signs. We've certainly got the signs in place. Then, in Matthew 24, 27 through 31, what will be the sign of your coming? Uh, how will we know when you're coming? And he gives some characteristics of his return. Um, he says it will be visible, seen as clearly as spectacular lightning from horizon to horizon. You're not going to have to wonder, did he come back? All right? You, you, you don't have to... Cause so, and he says, don't be listening to people. Oh, he's already come back and he's over there. There's no way this one... You're not going to sleep through it. All right? Regardless of if he comes back and takes the church out first or if we're here for the whole deal, whatever it looks like, you're going to know that Jesus is back. That, that's a promise. All right? And so... So if, and if you don't know, he ain't back. All right? Um, and it'll happen right after the... <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to settle you any better than that. Okay? Unless, of course, like one Sunday you come to church and no one's here but you, something might have happened. <laughs> or it might just have been you missed the announcement there was a picnic that day or something. <laughs> so don't panic. Or there was a big community-wide ecumenical meeting and you didn't hear. Okay. Sorry, I digress and I'm running out of time. Um, and and there'll, there'll be, it'll happen after the tribulation will be in, in, in the, involved somehow and there'll be a great disturbance in the heavens. You are not going to be surprised. Okay? So just take that one off the table. And then when will it be? Matthew 24, 32 through 51. Here's the thing. He says this very clearly. No one knows the day or hour not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows. Do you know what that means? No one knows. The Mayans don't know. Just because their calendar runs out in 2012 doesn't mean he's coming back. No one knows. If somebody knows, guess what? The Bible's not true. No one knows. No one will ever know. If someone tells you they know, they're wrong. And still people have pulled this off every generation. There have been prophets that have said he's coming back and people buy into it. And they sell all their stuff and they sit and wait in a field. And then they have to sheepishly drag out. And the guy said, I missed it by six months. Six months! My calculations were off. I forgot to carry the, the, the decimal point one. And they'll buy into it again. No one knows. We don't know. Only the Father knows. And I, I've explained it before. I'm going to explain it real quickly. The, the process. It's a marriage process. It's a custom. It's a Hebrew custom. And, and when, the, when, the, when the bridegroom would find, when the, when the man would find the woman that he, that he wanted to marry in Israel, because men figure that stuff out pretty quick. It's usually by looks. Okay, she would work for me. He goes to the family. And he says, I'd like to marry your daughter. And the parents check him out. How much money you got? That was the big question. Uh, what are you going to do for our daughter? Okay, yeah, you'll do. And they'd bring the daughter into the room. And the guy would pour a glass of wine out of his flask, set it on a table. The daughter would have to trust in her intuition. Women have better intuition than men. Men are moving in a different direction. She'd have to come in. She'd have to go with her intuition. If she felt like it was someone that she could be married to, she would drink from his glass. Boom, they were married. In effect, that was done. Then... He would have to go and prepare a place for them. 
and, and he would have to prepare a place. And when, when the place was done, he could go back and get his bride. Who determined when the place was done? The bridegroom's father. Until he said it was done, it wasn't done because a bridegroom would just want his bride. He, like I said, would go back, throw open his sleeping bag. We're ready, honey. And it, it wasn't enough. And so, so the, the, the father of the bridegroom would determine the time and he would say, okay, the place is ready. Now you go and you get her. We, we as the communion table, is, is where we accepted the proposal. Um, we're, we're offered... The, the, the flask from the bridegroom Jesus. When we accept it, he's making a place for us. He's coming back for us. When's he coming back? When the Father says the place is ready. Then he comes. And, and the references of, of, that you're going to read in the next chapter and stuff are, are about this sort of process being woven into the story so that they would get it. And, and it was all part of their custom and understanding. And so that's what we're waiting for. No one knows until the Father says the place is ready. Then Jesus is coming back. That's when he's coming back. What do we do until he comes? Last little point. And because that's the rest of the, of the chapter in the verses 51. We watch for his coming. We, we need to live like he's coming back today. And yet we need to live like he's not coming back for a while. There's, there's the tension again. But we need to be watching and ready. And we need to be good servants. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do the stuff that the master of the house told us to do. Take care of the kingdom. Do, do the stuff of the kingdom. Do the ministry. Do, the thing. do all those things. That's what we're supposed to do until he comes back. And... That's Matthew 24. It's 5 after 8. I'm going to be done. So, if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And we'll be back into it in Matthew chapter 25. Shortly, I'm going to pray for the folks here. If you're at Williston, they'll pray for you there. Uh, If you need prayer, you can email us or write us. Pass me your prayer request. I will pray for you. And we'll call it a day.